This is the Digital Savage Experience Podcast, hosted by Roman Prokopchuk, bringing you all things digital marketing, tech, business, and motivation. What's stopping you from becoming relentless in all aspects of life? Are you ready to become a digital savage? Let's get into today's episode. Hey everyone, this is Roman Prokopchuk and this is the Digital Savage Experience Podcast. Today I have with me Vina Jetty, who is the founding partner at Enzo Multifamily and has over 10 years of real estate experience, including overseeing the management of over 1 billion in real estate assets. Her experience includes driving corporate growth strategy, asset management, and business development derived from working for multiple Fortune 500 companies. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, awesome. It's great to have you. So what's kind of been your journey? Where did you start it and how did you kind of end up founding this company and some of the things you've done along the way? Yeah, so I think it was actually kind of accidental that I ended up founding this company, but I'm really glad I ended up here. Uh, so I actually come from a real estate family. So my parents have been investing in real estate for decades now. So kind of natural for me to end up in real estate. You know, I went to college, graduated, went into corporate America, um, you know, learned on someone else's dime, and then eventually realized that I could do what I was doing for someone else, for my family and myself. And so um, that's when I kind of left corporate America, started investing into actually single family homes, and discovered early on that that is not a very scalable model and decided to kind of move into the commercial multifamily space. And that's when I met my co-founding partner, Sapin Tlati, and uh, we started Enzo Multifamily together, um, basically because we both had the same vision. We had both kind of gotten to the top of our capacity in single family homes. And so that's how Enzo Multifamily was essentially born. No, that's awesome. Um, and I think if someone's trying to get into real estate commercial, mm -hmm. how do they go about it? How do you kind of evaluate a property? What is kind of the process you go through? Yeah, so that's, I always get asked that question and it, cause it's daunting, right? To go from buying a single family home that might be, you know, a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars to buying a multifamily complex, which is, you know, a hundred units and $15 million. So, um, what I always remind investors, it's so counterintuitive, but the bigger the deal, it's actually easier to do because the banks start to rely more on the deal itself as a business versus your personal balance sheet and your personal credit. Um, so it's super counterintuitive. But so what I would say is if you want to get started in commercial, I think the best way to go about it is to find someone who's experienced, find someone who is doing what you wanna be doing and try to add value to their process. Um, we have a lot of investors or new students who will approach us saying, hey, I really wanna do what you're doing. I don't know where to start. So we'll invite them onto property tours with us or our conference calls with us so that they can have an opportunity to really understand and see how we look at deals and then you know, take what they like from our model and get rid of what they don't. No, that's great. I mean, I'm actually personally would like to get into it at some point on the, like you said, a hundred units. Like that's my kind of goal in the next five years to possibly do something like that. 
yeah so that so i think 100 units is like the minimum that someone should actually start with um at enzo we prefer 200 units and up but i think 100 is like good baseline um and one of the reasons for that like i said counterintuitive but one of the reasons for that is because you can actually justify the cost of on-site property management so you're no longer buying yourself a job where you're answering every tenant phone call about you know, my hot water is out, my toilet's leaking, my doorbell won't work. You're no longer answering those calls because at 100 units, I have a property manager that sits in an office Monday through Friday. I have a porter who's on site who goes and makes those calls. So I don't have to worry about those little nuances of owning that real estate. Yeah, I was going to say that I think uh, the only way I would do it is when I have like, you know, like a management company or something set mm -hmm. up where, you know, I still have my other endeavors and it not it's not necessarily, you know, getting the uh, the phone calls directly from tenants because I'm sure that would boggle down anybody. <laughs> yep, that's not a fun phone call to get. And, you know, it doesn't stop just because it's weekends or Christmas or Thanksgiving. You still get those calls when you are the only point of contact. So for me, having third-party management is crucial to any deal we do. And obviously, it's you're building the company. Um, and I don't think a lot of people look at that real estate investment where it's like a rental property as well as the asset value as well. So I think that's kind of the beauty mm -hmm. of real estate also in terms of an investment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think one of the things that I like about it is, number one, it's like one of the best tax advantaged investments that you have access to in the market. You know, and secondly, it is also a asset backed investment, right? So when you invest into a, the stock market, for example, your stock can go from $100 to $0 overnight. Um, we don't see that kind of volatility in real estate because the odds of a building going from, you know, 15 million or $100 million valuation to zero overnight is highly unlikely. I mean, I guess it's not impossible, but highly unlikely. Um, and so for me, that's why I like real estate. Also, it's passive cash flow for us. Um, I value passive cash flow way more than I value active income. So, you know, just being invested, collecting what we call mailbox money is a very attractive lifestyle for us. No, I agree. I think the goal, at least for myself, is, you know, getting to a place where they say where you're sleeping and you're making money. And you're obviously, <laughs> when your time is not connected to making the money, then, you know, you have the possibility to scale, like with real estate. Exactly. And that's exactly it, right? When you're no longer trading time for dollars, it's infinitely scalable. So I can own a thousand doors or a million doors and it doesn't matter because the rent is still earned the same way so it doesn't require any more of my time to own a million doors versus you know using streams but versus a thousand doors no i agree and for somebody that's trying to get into a commercial real estate investment obviously it helps to have a background to begin with but if it's you know a new person or a beginner what are some tips like things to look at or you know what to know before getting into it because I'm sure it's overwhelming and it's possibly easy to make a bad deal where you know you kind of fall through on the deal itself. Yeah, so I for in real estate in general as like a broad category, I always like to tell investors to focus, like stay laser focused. Don't be somebody that looks at 10 different types of real estate investments because there are a lot of ways to make money in real estate, right? Like you can buy single family homes, you can buy tax liens, you can 
be a hard money lender, you can do multifamily, you can do commercial. There's a hundred different ways to make money. And there's always going to be people that are successful in those areas. But as an investor, as somebody going into the market, it is not possible for you to know every single aspect of every single one of those slices of the pie. Uh, the way you really need to in order to be successful. So pick one, maybe two. So maybe you say, I want to look at, you know, middle, like middle size, multifamily, 100 to 200 units in these three markets. And I want to also look at self-storage in these three markets. And you can really dive into those areas and understand and know the market really well. Um, If you're passively investing with a syndicator, which is what Enzo does, I always like to uh, vet the syndicators. Um, so the first question I always ask anybody that I invest with passively is, are the sponsors putting money into the deal themselves? Um, you know, for us, if I'm asking for somebody to trust me with their hard-earned money, and I'm saying, oh, but I'm not putting my own money in, well, that should be kind of a question mark for you. Why are, Why is this deal not good enough for you, but it's good enough for you to put in front of an investor? Um, so I always, we always invest from the sponsor team. We always put money in right alongside our investors. And our money goes at risk first, actually, before our investors even see our offering. We already have um, money into the deal. So that's the first question I like to ask. The second question I like to ask is about, Um, how they're looking at the deal. So I like to understand the modeling and you want to understand why they're looking at the deal a certain way and does does it make sense, right? So are they going to go from $1,000 in rent a month to $5,000 of rent in a month in three months? That's completely unrealistic in 99.9999% of cases. So, um, you know, I like to know and understand the business plan. I like to know and understand who the team is that is going to be managing the asset. Um, You know, projected returns, they're all projected. None of them are guaranteed. So, you know, you have to kind of go in with the knowledge that, okay, maybe this is going to be somewhere around here and maybe it's not. It's like any other investment. Um, And then the third thing is, I typically like to ask sponsors how the debt is structured. So, um, you know, as we're going into a softening of the market, which we are, I believe right now we're either at the top or just starting to come down from the top of the market. Um, I like to find out about the debt structure and why that particular debt was taken on. Um, so right now, Enzo is becoming much more conservative than we have been even in the past few years to adjust for what we perceive to be a softened market. So, you know, for example, now we're not really taking on bridge products unless there's a very compelling reason for it, which there has not been this year, but there could be in the future. But we just try to be very careful and very deliberate in what we're willing to do. That's really interesting. Yeah, I was going to ask a follow-up question where you see the market heading, um, but (laughs) sort of answered that already. Yeah, I I see the market softening. Um, So for us, I'm really excited about it because that means that we can pick up a lot more assets at lower pricing. Um, So Enzo focuses on three different markets, really. Um, So, well, okay, so we focus on DFW because that's our backyard. We have, you know, several assets here. Um, But this year and in the coming year, we're actually focusing more on the Florida market, Orlando, Tampa, Jacksonville are kind of the three targets for next year. Uh, that's interesting. Um, I'm in kind of the metro, New, 
New York, yeah. New Jersey area. Yeah, so New York, New Jersey, um, we don't really play in those markets because they're very expensive markets to play in. So they don't necessarily fit our model. Um, we definitely have colleagues that do very well in that area. Right now, everybody's doing well. If you're losing money in real estate, you're really trying hard to lose that money. <laughs> but, you know, in the, in the coming years, as cap rates start moving, as investors start getting tighter with their money, um, I think we're going to just see a lot more assets that are more opportunistic for us to be able to come in and kind of um, get those at more attractive pricing. No, yeah, that's interesting because I think there's a lot of people out there that want to get into real estate investment or like certain aspects or components of the process, but are intimidated whether on the commercial side or the residential side. So it's really interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I do think that there, I, I, you know, I think right now when people are saying they're not finding deals that work, I think that you're absolutely correct. It's because you're looking at the deals correctly. Um, right now we're saying about for every 200 deals that we're looking at, we're maybe seeing one deal and that's even being pretty generous with how many deals we're seeing. So, uh, it's better to not be in a bad deal than it is to just be in a deal to have a deal done. No, I agree with that. Now, in terms of like the vetting process, how long does that typically take? Because you said 200 and then obviously that may yield one deal. <laughs> what is kind of the process that goes into that? Yeah, so um, we I have a whole big team and everybody puts an effort into all aspects of the business. So um, I have three other partners. So my founding partner or co-founding partner, Stephen Pilati, um, he's the one that does a lot of our financial modeling and in-house underwriting. So he'll oversee our financial team, our financial analysts, and make sure that um, the deal is being modeled correctly. He'll structure the debt, um, you know, he'll adjust the P12, he'll adjust all of the formulas and put out our pro forma. He will look at, like I said, about 200 deals. Um, now, the deals come from either his contacts or my contacts, or we have two other partners, Neil Dandona and Sue Judge Blotty, um, and both of them actually come in post-target. So um, the upfront work is really done the majority by seven, and then um, you know, I kind of assist, we kind of bounce ideas off of each other. Once we see a deal where we're like, okay, this meets the initial criteria for end zone vesting, um, then we'll take it to the whole team. We'll discuss the business plan. We'll discuss the opportunity. We send partners out to walk the property. So we'll have eyes on the asset. Uh, Enzo's model, it's a little bit different than some other um, syndicator models, but our model is to do about 90 to 95% of our due diligence out of the gate. Um, so before we even put an offer in, we have very good ideas about what is possible on the asset, what the rehab numbers are, um, where the areas of opportunity are, what our competitors are doing. And we've spent a lot of time delving really deep into that asset um, once we've identified it as a potential target. Even at that point, even after we've expended dollars and time and energy, we still are willing to walk away from an asset if it doesn't work for us. Um, so then we go into our initial round. So typically the way an on-market deal works in multifamily is um, you go into an initial round of bidding where you submit your first offer. So you say, okay, I'm going to pay you $10 for one, two, three, Main Street. Here are the general terms. Uh, we submit what's called an LOI. And then... From the LOI stage, uh, the seller will typically choose anywhere from three to five of the best offers. So once those three to five are chosen, they'll invite you into what's called a best and final round. 
Um, that typically will be, you know, you have a buyer interview, so we'll get on the call with the seller and the broker. We'll do an interview. They'll vet us. They'll make sure we can close and we're not just, you know, here to waste time. They ask us about our experience and our background and how we slice the deal, what we like about it, what we don't like about it. Um, and essentially, they're kind of testing us to see how prepared we are and, you know, how fluent we are in this area. And then um, in the best and final round, we will submit um, an offer that is our best and final offer. And so typically, we'll come up or we'll change the terms. Maybe we'll put more hard money day one. Maybe, you know, we'll lessen the inspection period, what, whatever the terms are that we come in with our best and final terms. And then they'll typically select a buyer once your best and final is submitted and you have um, that interview, they'll select a buyer. Um, and then we go to what's called the PSA stage, which is the purchase agreement. Um, so that's when we start involving attorneys and, you know, all that good stuff. So it, there's, a, there's a process that kind of rinse and repeats, but it can take anywhere from the time we see a deal to the time we close a deal. It's typically anywhere from two months on the very, very short end, but more realistically three to four months. No, that's, that's very interesting and that's a, a smart way obviously to go into it because you try to minimize as much risk, you know, on the front end as exactly. possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So on a, like a personal question, what's one thing that mm-hmm. you've had as a thing that you may have struggled with in the past that you turned into a strength that you utilize now? Oh man, that is a good question. So one of the so one of the weaknesses that i personally face and have always struggled with is um maintaining like organization just internally so my email inbox right now probably has about 18 it has 18,241 unread emails <laughs> so um i'm not very good at organizing my emails or kind of setting up processes that kind of help with that management one of the things that we've recently done is we've brought you know, team members on board. My partner, Pooja, is awesome at setting up processes and systems for us. So my, for me, I think the biggest strength that I have now is that I have chosen partners and I've chosen um, people to work with on my team who have strengths that I just simply don't have no matter how hard I try. Um, and they just really compliment us and compliment me. And so it allows me to not have to focus on things I don't enjoy as much, but it lets me really shine where I'm good. So it's still a weakness of mine, but I'm able to kind of mitigate some of the weakness because my partner is so strong in it that I kind of follow her lead and allow her to kind of dictate and, you know, put these processes and systems into place that work really well. And it makes a whole lot of sense why she does them. So I think that's kind of where I've kind of turned it into a strength, so to speak. No, I think that's important because you can't be everywhere and do everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're going to be good at what you're good at and finding the right people that fill kind of those gaps that you you may have weaknesses is important for any business owner or entrepreneur. Yep, totally agree. I always joke that you know, the secret to my success is actually I just find people that are way smarter than me and then I partner with them and ride their coattails to success. Yeah, I mean, that, that should be kind of the hiring practice nowadays. But a lot of times in corporate <laughs> structures, it's people get afraid that their job's in jeopardy if they hire somebody smarter than them, that kind of thing. But I think the, the benefit and the beauty of, you know, being your own boss is having that opportunity <laughs> to do so. Yep. no, absolutely agree. 
So what's one piece of advice you can leave with the audience, either personal or professional or both? Mm -hmm. um, so I think that, well, one of the focuses that the Enzo team as a whole has been trying to kind of get to for end of 2018 and for 2019 is um, why do we do what we do, right? And for all of us, we'll all tell you basically the same answer. We do it because we want the lifestyle with our families. We want time with our families. We don't want to be, you know, tied to a job from nine to five for the rest of our lives. Um, and so one of the things we've been really bad at previously that we are now focusing on um, this year and going forward is um, that work-life balance. Because when you work for yourself, it's really difficult to step away from work when there's all these tasks that need to be done. So sometimes we'll end up working at like two in the morning or, you know, 11 at night or on a weekend. And so now what we've started doing is um, we're trying to take what's called like an Enzo Friday, where at noon in our local time zone, we turn on our auto responder and, you know, noon to five, no meetings can be scheduled. We take Friday afternoons off. You know, I, I suspect most of us continue working through that, but it's such the expectation externally that, hey, Enzo partners are available only if it's really urgent. Otherwise, it's got to wait till Monday. And I think that that is starting to kind of help add more balance to our li lives because we are all so dedicated and we all know how important this is to all of us. So I think, um, you know, personally and professionally, maintaining that balance or at least trying to be cognizant of it is really important to avoid burnout and also because you have to really love what you do to work at this level of intensity for so long. I agree and you made a good point about burnout because kind of the you know the stereotype in America everybody has to work you know 24 7 to succeed mm -hmm. and eventually if you don't you know love or at least like what you do and mm -hmm. have a time to recharge your mind and your body once in a while you're gonna you know end up hating it. Mm -hmm. No and that's exactly right so you know we take vacations we, you know, when we're on vacation, the other partners will cover for us. You know, my partner's going to Italy next week. Last year, I went to Paris for a week. So, you know, we get that balance and it's just, it's really important to maintain that because you have to remember your why. Why do you do this? Yeah, the mission is, I think, the, the foundation of, of everything you do kind of professionally. So I definitely agree with that. Yeah. So I really appreciate you coming on today and thank you for your time. Can you tell the audience how they can find you or anything else you have going on? Yeah, um, so you can find us. Um, we are, have our website, enzomultifamily.com, E, and like Nancy, Z like Zebra, O like Oscar, multifamily.com. Um, there is a form there. If you just click the retire and luxury button, it'll take you to like ask you for all your contact information. You can schedule a call with myself or one of my partners. Um, you know, you can get onto our newsletter list. We send out a newsletter once a month and really it's like four different articles typically that get, that get curated. Um, and it's really only like the most important things that we feel like investors really need to know about what's happening. So, um, you know, we don't send like a daily email or anything crazy like that, but um, you can get an opportunity to read about what's happening in multifamily, why we like certain markets, shifts that we're seeing. So we'll curate content pretty specifically for our investors. Um, alternatively, you can find me on, you know, all the social media. <laughs> so it's just my first name, last name, Bina Jetty or Enzo Multifamily on, you know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all, you know, all, all the things that cool kids have these days. <laughs> awesome. Thanks again for stopping by and speaking. 
Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. This is so much fun. This podcast has been brought to you by Nova Zora Digital. Find out how Nova Zora Digital can help your company grow online. Learn more at NovaZoraDigital.com. Until next time, all you digital savages.